it was uh, 2016, right? When when half of Hollywood died. Oh man! It's like the other half's dying now. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. turning out to be another one of those years. It's um, and a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Got whacked. Uh, a lot of stuff I like anyway. Yeah. Got whacked. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, three, three. There, if you want to do the threes. Well, we, uh, well how, where do you start counting so in order, our, in order to, to create the, the, I think the threes? It was, I think it was on our last show we recorded, uh, and we, we said we sure hope uh, John Singleton's okay. And then between the time ah. that the show was, was recorded and, it, and the time it posted, he passed. But who was right before uh, John? Luke Perry. Uh, Luke Perry. So if you start and, with Luke, Luke, John. Oh, well, we just in the past few days, we had Peggy Lipton, Doris Day, Day and and Tim Conway. And Tim Conway, of course. Yeah. So if you group them by age. <laughs> uh, All over the map. Doris yeah. was in her 90s. I was going to say the octogenarian. 97. I forget what they even call people in the Tim Americas. Conway was 85. Yeah. John yeah. Singleton was 51. Why does 85 not seem that old to me? You know why? I'll tell you why. Because uh, we are routinely now, like I.M. Pei just died at 102. I.M. Pei was yesterday. Um, Olivia Olivia de Havilland is 104 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirk Douglas is 102, mm-hmm. right? So, so you know, it, it's we've we've hit that moment where people be, who are 100 years old, it's no longer wow. Only a few minutes ago, we were doing this on a Friday morning. Yeah. I'm watching. Uh, it's I guess it's Al Roker that does it now. Remember the yeah. Smuckers yeah. that, that uh, yeah. Willard used to do? Yeah. And he hit like 15 of them. Yeah. And they weren't just a hundred anymore. These no. were 102s, 104s. These were 103s. Look, it was when I when when you and I were kids. How many people did we know who lived to be a hundred years old? Did you Did you know any? My great grandmother. Your great grandmother. My, 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 but she's the only one, but my great, now the women in my family, uh, on my mother's side anyway, yeah. extremely long lived. Yeah. Uh, but my great grandmother, Ruth Douglas, I knew until I was 32 uh, years old. She, wow. She babysit sat me. And then I, I had the hardest time understanding what a great grandmother was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was just, I was just, I was just I'm like, you ask all my other friends about these great grandmothers. I know. And none of them have any idea what the hell I'm talking about. I know, I know great grandmothers and great grandfathers who are in their 70s. Yeah. Well, you know, that's another problem. Right. But, but uh, I, just in the past, I'd say the past 10 years, I know three people who, mm. who live to be over 100 years old. I delivered a eulogy at the funeral for one of them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, my old dentist and, and his wife, they both live to be over 100. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Married yeah. for over 70 years. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> know you for so, your entire life as an adult. And, of course, a lot of it has to do with advances in health care. Yeah. Uh, the way we actually take care of ourselves about yeah. certain sectors of the population anyway. Um, who don't eat too many Twinkies, and uh, I, I suppose, I suppose, you know, that's it, and, yeah. and, and thus we live long. Plus, fewer things just flat out kill us. That's the thing that we don't in, calculate. In fact, it dawns on me. I think I know somebody else who's over a hundred because I have not been invited to a funeral, so I've got to assume he's still alive. <laughs> I actually went to because I, I went. He and his wife celebrated their seventy-fifth wedding anniversary, and I went to that celebration. And they were both mid-90s at the time. That was over 10 years ago, and she passed about four years after that. Mm-hmm. So he's got to be 105. Some, yeah, he's still walking around. He's yeah. still walking around. It, it, but there is that. I was, I, Hippest I, guy I've ever known, by the way. I just, <laughs> just want to say, I, I just want to say, he and his wife were traveling to Tibet and and uh, all over, like, Peru and the, and the, and the you know, the, the old the Mayan ruins. Yeah. They were doing that before, like, 
people were supposed to do that, <laughs> right? So that's what keeps you alive. Yeah, They're doing it when you really had to yeah. do it. Yeah. You know? um, uh, but this is what this is. This is a thing. Uh, I happened to li- listen to one of my science podcasts, and yeah. this was the actual subject: Why are people living to be so long? One of the reasons is fewer things just flat out kill us. So yeah. if you think about, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, fifty years ago, even twenty five years ago. There were many things that people did every day uh, that would they just get killed doing. It. Yeah, uh, working on a farm in you know eighteen hundred or nineteen hundred or sure. even nineteen fifty was a damn dangerous thing to do, uh, and you know you just get killed farming. Yeah, pretty hard to kill yourself farming now. True, uh, you know I mean you got to almost be trying. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> window washers and all. I mean there's all <laughs> kinds of stuff where yeah. you're just not gonna probably probably. Not gonna die doing this thing anymore. And then there are a whole bunch of things that humans just don't do anymore. True. A whole bunch of actually dangerous things that you know the robot does that. So quick favorite. Uh, let's just let's just pay tribute to some of these people. Favorite John Singleton film. Oh well, you know, obvious to say Boys in the Hood, so yeah. I won't. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with John's third film, Poetic Justice. Not okay. not Poetic Justice, A Higher yeah. Learning. Yeah. Love Poetic Justice too, but that's mostly about Tupac. And yeah, sort of amazing performance he gave. But there was something about higher learning, which was not that well uh, a received movie at the time. Yeah, when you look at that movie now, ooh, yeah. <laughs> prescient. Yeah, absolutely prescient. Another John film that I enjoyed. It's a little cheesy, and I get yeah. it. But Rosewood. See, that was going to be my pick. Ben Rings. You know what? Uh, I I kind of denigrated it at the time. Me too. And that's one of those. I know Ray wants us to do a festival of films where we've changed our minds. That's one I've revisited. And uh, I think what I what I did at the time is something that I don't do now, which is I was looking at the guy who made Boys in the Hood, mm. and then the guy who made Rosewood, and I said, "Well, that's not. What are you doing? You're you're stepping outside the lines." I admire that now. Mm. It's like, yeah, you made Boys in the Hood, so why not go and make a classic period film in the classic Hollywood style? And and tell a and tell a period story. Why not do that? And why then, not why and, not flex those and, muscles? And then that one he managed to to meld two things. Obviously, yeah. John started out telling stories about his community. Yeah. Boys in the Hood is a story about his community, his people, sure. people like him and what and what it means and to And so is poetic here. justice. And poetic justice to a certain extent yeah. too. Higher learning even. His community moved yeah. to college and what it feels like and looks like being yeah. from his community and the college, which is something that happened yep. with, with with Rosewood, though, he decided to simply tell a grand story. In the context of the black experience, but it's just a western. Yeah, that's John Ford. Yeah, you know it is. that's that's that's, that, it. that's what that, John Ford and, and that's, that's what he's doing after that. So John he's like, Ford film with Ving Rhames. With Ving Rhames, it's man. It, I love. I think the name yeah. of the character is the man. It was. It was. It was great. <laughs> it was great. So yeah. Um, and I've seen Ving Rhames by the way around town in stores and stuff. It's yeah. A very big man. Even bigger, not uh, not like tall, big, like no. like I like if I were running at full speed and put my head down right into his chest, yeah, I would hurt my head. You bounce off, I'd bounce off. Um, Peggy Lipton. Oh well, you know, I, I first of all, I'm old enough. Both, both Mod Squad go yeah. all the way back to the Mod sure. Squad, so you know. I'm going to go with Twin Peaks. But Twin Peaks yeah. was really just an extraordinary. Peggy yeah. was married to Quincy Jones for a long time. And I used to She's run Rashida into her Jones' mom. Rashida Jones' mom. Yeah. So I would run into her all the time when cool jazz festivals yeah. and stuff like that. But, you know, Peggy, you know, when I was a kid growing up watching, you know, yeah. Total Crush. Yeah. Total Crush. But Twin Peaks, absolutely good. Yeah. Amazing work. Tim Conway. Oh, Tim Conway on the Carol Burnett show just standing there. 
That's all he ever had to do for me. But on the Carol Burnett show, now, the Apple Dumpling Gang. Apple that, Dumpling you know, Gang, yeah. uh, Yes. And people forget, Tim made a bunch of those movies. You know, somebody <laughs> pointed out the other day, they made the comment, and I have to agree, Tim Conway may be the greatest ever self-deprecating comic. Mm-hmm. All of his humor was always at his own expense. Loved it. Every last bit of it. He was always the fool, the dimwit, the, the, the that's what it was. That's what he got. And I just watched again, and I think it may be one of the single funniest pieces of performance in the history of movies or television is is Tim Conway and Harvey Corman doing Sunday Dentist. Oh my God. <laughs> because because Harvey at a certain point, remember Harvey's always cracking up on that show. It was he's Tim, always Tim was dedicated to Tim making was, Harvey crack but, up. But there was there's a moment in that when Tim is putting is in, is is injecting his hand and then his hip and he's putting the novocaine in himself and he's losing the whole thing and there's and and Harvey is losing it on a level so extreme even Tim loses it <laughs> Tim even loses it because Harvey is so losing it and and it makes the whole thing even funnier what, what it's amazing to me and if you didn't grow up on the Carol Burnett show yeah you because know, we we have both we were Carol Burnett people and early Saturday Night Live yeah. people right up yeah. to the present day yep. so we have this sort of overlap there the classic variety shows yeah and then when they sort of morphed into the more modern sort of you know uh, comedy yeah. shows somehow the Carol Burnett sketches some of which would go on quite a quite a long quite a long yet time they never started to hurt no, and the way that some SNL sketches. Well, you know what Eric Idle says about Saturday Night Live. He says, uh, the, "You know what the difference is between a Saturday Night Live sketch and life. Mm. Life eventually ends." <laughs> Thank you, Eric, <laughs> for being so sharp about that. Tim Conway, let me just give a shout out to Mikhail's Navy because you. Know, oh, he, so great! Yeah, because he was yeah. he was wonderful on that show. Uh, lastly, Doris Day, favorite Doris Day movie. Oh well, Pillow Talk for sure. Um, but I got to tell you, it, it, her sequence, her big sequence, in, yeah. uh, um, uh, with Jimmy oh, Stewart, in, in uh, Man Who Knew Too Much, uh, Who Knew Too Much, because yeah. she has to sing and all of yeah. that. Th- that's an amazing performance. It sure is. Uh, she, she, it's in her eyes. It's yeah. all in her eyes. And uh, what about you? What about you? I am going to say the thrill of it all. Oh. And I'll tell you why. Because the thrill of it all is the Doris Day movie that everyone always forgets about. Because it's a Doris Day Rock Hudson movie, mm-hmm. except with James Garner playing Rock Hudson. Hudson, yeah. yeah right? Yeah. And um, the what I love about the thrill of it all is it, it encapsulates in this idea of, of a, a 50s housewife who makes good. It encapsulates the era and everything people loved about Doris Day. Yes, she was the girl next door. She was your mom. She was that lady across the street. She was what's her face with with the with the cookies on my favorite Marshall. No, yeah, you know she she's she's that every woman. But at the same time, she's she made good. She's the, she's a professional woman. She's kind of the the safe liberated woman before there was women's lib and feminism. It was baby boom about and twenty years before baby boom. It was. And I'll tell you what else was too. People forget this about Doris Day, the Doris Day television show. She was a again a single woman who was self-actualized, True. raising her kids and taking care yeah. of her business. Yeah. This is in the this is in the early seventies that, that yeah. show was on. That's that right. show that, show, that was a really good show. I, I, I watched that it show was a too. Good show. It's not remembered in the way that like uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show no. or um, you know some of the other ones. It will be now. It will be now. It will be now. You know. I don't know. Well, tough week. Well, we we were off for a week there, so we'll have to, we're going to dive right back into it. I got a bunch of foreign stuff here that has accumulated, and we've got some giveaways. Thanks to Wellgo. Well, we got three giveaways because of Wellgo. So thank you, Wellgo, and we're going to start with one of them, 
And the movie is Big Brother with Donnie Yen, uh, whom I am proud to have interviewed several times. I actually also wrote the first ever uh, major interview and uh, and uh, uh, interview art piece with uh, with Donnie Yen in a major American publication. That was for the LA Times at the time that um, he uh, he was f- just starting to break through. Yep. Uh, and uh, the movie is Big Brother. Uh, Donnie Yen does not age. Let me just no. say this. Donnie, and the, and the movie I interviewed him for was Iron Monkey. Iron Monkey was getting an American release many years after it was released in Hong Kong, and um, Miramax was doing it, and Donnie was here doing press. Most people think about Donnie, they think about the Ip. The uh, Ip Man the films, Ip Man yeah. Films. Uh, but he was, he was in Iron Monkey. He, did, you know, he didn't play Iron Monkey. He played the guy that Iron Monkey, you know, the, a dad that Iron Monkey fights. But he was on his way up at the time. He had an amazing fight scene as the bad guy against Jet Li in uh, Once Upon a Time in China 2. And uh, he kind of played the bad guy in a lot of these things. Um, he, he got a few lead roles, but then suddenly Jackie and Jet get too old to do anything. Jet Li looks like he's 70 years old now. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Donnie, who is basically the same age as yeah. Jet Li, yeah. is, is like, has not aged. He's in his prime, and he's like a starring man on a level that they can't be anymore. It's yeah. really amazing. Well, he does not, he does not look uh, crazy doing anything. No. Yeah, I, saw, I saw Mark DeCostas in something the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 it was... Uh, 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 um, uh, what was uh, it? John Wick 3. As Wick 3. Oh, yeah. that's what he's in, Wick yeah. 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's know. in Wick 3. And he's moving around pretty good. He's, he's doing pretty well, you and know. he's funny, too. Yeah, which, which, which is great. Yeah. But, you know, you know, these guys, you know... Well, Big Brother is basically stand and deliver with martial arts. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, he's an inspiring teacher, and uh, you know he goes into this really, really tough delinquent class. And he's a guy with some history, and uh, you know he basically wind- it's stand and deliver with martial arts. I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. Uh, but it's a really good movie. It's a really good movie. It is. It is a uh, Cantonese film once again. If you if you are a fan of Hong Kong films, you will know that almost everybody migrated over to China, and they're all Mandarin language films now. So there is something cool about watching an actual Hong Kong movie in Cantonese again. Uh, they still make them; they just don't come over here. So mm. this was a re- this was really fun seeing Donnie speak Cantonese, and and, uh, and it's a great film. It's called Big Brother. We're giving away four of them. Uh, send us an email to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com and put brother in the subject line. Put your name and your address in the body of the email. And uh, make sure that it gets to us uh, no later than Sunday the 26th, Sunday, May 26th. And we will uh, choose winners on the uh, 27th, and four people will get Big Brother. So just send us Brother in the subject line, name and address in the body of the email. Uh, We also have from WellGo, we'll pull the next batch out here, uh, another shot. Now, uh, another shot is is not a foreign film, but I'm going to include it here because it's Wellgo. Uh, this is a basketball movie starring uh, Stephon Marbury, Alan Iverson, and Baron Davis uh, in special appearances. But uh, basically, it's a Stephon Marbury movie, and uh, I never thought I'd say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, When did they start doing that? If you go back long enough, uh, let's see, Dr. J and all those guys were in a, uh, what was that movie that they were in uh, uh, in the the middle 70s? Yeah. I I, I, I think I was um, thinking this. Oh, The Fish That Ate. Yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and you work your way up, and you had, I think, I think, uh, I think Michael Jordan did one. Yeah, uh, where he was like with cartoons. Yeah, that, that's the, the uh, yeah. And then, right. and then with, Shaq with Bugs Bunny, with Bugs Bunny, and then Space Jam. Shaq, yeah, that was Space Jam. Shaq yeah. did one, but I don't think I don't think Shaq was a. Well, here's the deal. Here, 
China is trying to lure everybody over there to do stuff. This is why Welgo does Asian themed stuff. So mm-hmm. there is an Asian theme to this. The film's in English, but it's basically um, it's about a bunch of guys who go to China. To, you know, Americans go to China to play professional basketball and uh, are looking to become basketball champions in China. Uh, That's it, right? Yeah. So it's a way of celebrating China's basketball league with American talent, mm-hmm. which. Okay, fair Promotes enough. Promotes the it. American and the other yeah, yeah, I get. Yeah. I'm okay with that. You know, I mean, there's a little bit of a propaganda angle, but you know what? Here's the big, the big surprise here: is Stefan Marbury's not a bad actor. <laughs> but you know what? Not, not surprised. Not surprised. Not probably not a surprise. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I was shocked uh, that uh, that LeBron is as good as he is. Yeah, because he was so good in that in, the, in that that in comedy. Amy Schumer, Amy oh my Schumer gosh, film. he's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, anyway, it's uh, the movie's called Another Shot, and it's got some good basketball stuff on it. It is pres- it is uh, essentially based. Uh, I, I should point this out. It is essentially based on Stefan Marbury, Marbury's own experience in China. Oh, it is. It is based on you know. It's it's sort of. I don't know. I don't know how true it is. I, I don't I know how embellished. Know, I did not know he spent time in foreign. Yeah, in yeah. Foreign so he's basically playing that. himself. Oh. So uh, if you want to see some good basketball stuff, and if you don't mind the fact that it sort of celebrates the Chinese league, go ahead. We're giving away four copies of Another Shot on DVD, not Blu-ray. Uh, Big Brother is on Blu-ray. This is DVD. Another Shot. Send us. Uh, the email to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com. In the subject line, just put shot, S-H-O-T, and uh, we will choose the uh, four lucky winners no later than uh, the 27th, so make sure it's time and date stamped to us by an email by the 26th. And we have got one more from uh, Wellgo, and this one is far and away my favorite. <clears throat> We are also giving away four copies of Triple Threat. Uh, Triple Threat is kind of a... Um, it, I, you, you, they're trying to call this, like the, the plug on here calls it the expendables of the martial arts world. I would not say that. Uh, it, <laughs> no, I wouldn't really, because you'd have to have Jackie Chan and Jet Li. You'd have to have most of the expendables in it yeah, yeah. To, to do that. Half the expendables are martial arts people anyway. Uh, no, I would almost say this This goes more along the lines of uh, Three Dragons, the ah. old Jackie Chan mm-hmm. thing that he did with uh, with with uh, Sammo and and uh, and and their 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 buddy Yun um, uh, Yun Bu. Uh, this is uh, this brings a lot of talent together, a lot of contemporary talent, a lot of major major people. But it's still basically a Tony Jaw movie. You're still watching this because Tony Jaw just still kicks butt, and he's in his prime. Yeah, you know, there's no reason that he's an expendable, and he's 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 past his past his prime. Um, but here's a, here's who else is in this thing: uh, Iko Uwais, Tiger Chen, Selena Jade, Scott Adkins, Michael. Scott Bispo- Adkins. Scott Adkins. <laughs> I know. Came, Scott Adkins. Got to have an American in there. Got another American in there too. Michael Jai White. Michael Jai White. I love that there's always some place for these guys to go to war. And uh, Gigi Yanin. So uh, yeah, it's it, look. There's don't worry about the plot. It's about a bunch of mercenaries. Tony Jaa is um, is is sort of taking the lead here. Um, and uh, you got mercenaries who are having to go up against these professional assassins. And there's no plot. Everybody just kicks butt for for a good solid two hours, and it's it's uh, very impressive. Um, so anyway, it's a fun film. Uh, four copies given away. Just send us an email to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com with the word threat mm. in the subject line, body and address, uh, name and address in the body of the email. And uh, get that to us by the uh, 26th, and we'll choose a winner on the 27th. So those are our three giveaways. 
Um, all of them cool. Welgo is is really kicking it. So here's the rest of our foreign language films. Yes. On uh, on Blu-ray is The Great Buddha Plus. Um, this was Taiwan's foreign language entry. It did not get nominated, but it's a really, really interesting film from uh, writer-director Xin Yao Huang. And it's... Um, it, it, it's shot beautifully in black and white. I mean, it's a really, really fantastic uh, black and white thing. What it it, it it tells an interesting Taiwanese story um, in a very, very elegant way. That's kind of a it's sort of a brutal story, and um, it it's I'm, I don't want to give too much away here because um, it's very easy to give away the whole thing. There's let's say that there's a there's a crime uh, that was that could have been captured on dash cam mm -hmm. and private camera and there's a night security guard who is central to uh whether or not this crime will be solved mm -hmm. that's kind of all that i can i can really reveal but what um where it goes and this really naturalistic acting and how the actual buddha figures into this mm -hmm. the, the this giant buddha itself um, because there's a factory that manufactures buddhas and and you know there's a, there's a whole angle to this where the where the, the night guard works the uh anyway it's a it's a really really stylish film it was a whole ton of uh, festivals and um did not get an oscar nomination for taiwan but it's still really worth checking out it's a really really interesting movie uh iceman is uh is a a, a really kind of a curious hybrid um this is a german italian austrian co-production and it's relatively short. It's only about uh, ninety some odd minutes long, uh, but it uh, it takes place. It's it's almost like a I don't want to say quest for fire. Um, it's a it's not even Clan of the Cave Bear, but it's it's kind of a caveman movie. Uh, it, it it takes place thousands and thousands of years ago with this this Neolithic clan, mm. and um, it's it, it's about sort of an ancient religious. Um, how would I put it? Uh, it's like there, there's an ancient shrine, and these are feuding tribes, and uh, it winds up be kind of becoming like a like a Neolithic death wish in in a way. Mm. Um, but it's not really a revenge film. I hate I hate to call it a revenge film, but there it is. It is very much a, well. I guess Quest for Fire might even be the best analogy. Anyway, mm. it's a, it's it's on D, uh, DVD, not on Blu-ray. It's uh, directed by Felix Rondau. And uh, it is it's a it's a really interesting kind of re revenge survival spiritual quest movie in mm. a very prehistoric period, beautifully shot, very interesting. And is there language in it? No, oh, yeah, there's language. It's oh, so, for sure, yeah, 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 yeah. There's language because you don't like just, clan, clan of the Cave Bear or something like that. that you know. Uh, yeah, no, no. It's uh, the language is Rayatan uh, or Raishan, which I don't really know what that is, but that's like the a, language. Perhaps an Inuit kind of thing. Like Some kind of a thing, yeah. But it is, it is, it's a very interesting film. Uh, the wonderful Shunji Iwai film from uh, Film Movement Classics, all about Lily Shushu. Uh, this is one of the best coming of age films of the last. She was like twenty years. Uh, part of a kind of nascent uh, new Japanese cinema that emerged right around the year 2000 that was sort of um, addressing all kinds of really interesting new social issues in Japan and, the, and uh, you know, the, 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 a certain generation of young Japanese who have no connection really even through parents or grandparents to anything related to World War II. Mm -hmm. So you, you really do have a completely new independent Japanese social sensibility. 
And um, this is uh, this is this is a really really great one. This is about an eighth grader who is obsessed with this singer named Lily Shushu, um, whose music is sort of his only way out of his miserable existence. And uh, it is just a beautifully shot, beautifully written movie um, from two thousand and one. Really really top notch. Two and a half hours long. But it doesn't feel like it. It's just a beautiful movie. Shunji Iwai uh, directed this. And it's from Film Movement Classics on Blu-ray. Fantastic. We also have The Shape of Now by Manuel Correa. Um, this, is a, uh, this is a documentary, but it's a foreign documentary. And I want to put it in here. It's a, it's a co-production. It's very unusual. It's a co-production between Colombia and Norway, but it's in Spanish. And um, it's uh, it, 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 this would be a good documentary for the people in Venezuela to look at because it would sort of give them uh, a lot of signs as to what the future might hold. Mm. This is how you sort of um, how you how you bring a society together after years and years and years of, of war and civil conflict and, mm-hmm. and civil war in many cases. And uh, we forget that Colombia went through hell for a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, with the FARC the rebels FARC, yeah. and all that yeah, stuff. Kidnapping, so kidnapping. So, uh, 30 years. 30 years. Conflict, yeah. And uh, so this is looking at the people who survived that, who endured that. And uh, it's it's quite moving and it's quite powerful. And this is from Indie Picks Unlimited. And you can also see it on Prime, on one of the Prime channels on uh, on Amazon. Also from Film Movement on DVD, not on Blu-ray. Uh, which was debuted at the International Rotterdam Film Festival, is Olga uh, Chaidas's film Nina. I hope I'm not mutilating her name, Olga Chaidas. This is in Polish, and uh, that may be the most pronounceable Polish name I've ever seen. I am bad with Polish names. And uh, I, I, poor Rich Nachewski, I used to mutilate <laughs> his name all the time. Really uh, um, a colleague from back. A colleague of ours from way back. Uh, but anyway, this is uh, this is a, a little bit like what's the uh, the uh, Chilean movie that then just became the uh, Julianne Moore movie. Oh yeah, the one uh, yeah um, uh, about the woman about uh, the woman who's, who's yeah. the, the older lady and her relationship that. with the older man that thing yeah, yeah that thing so this is a little bit like that uh, this is Nina is a woman who um, is, is having a bit of a midlife crisis she can't become a mom she can't conceive and uh, winds up um, falling into a very interesting relationship that uh, winds up creating more questions than answers. Really, uh, it's not a love story so much as it is just a look at one woman's personal life crisis. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty solid. I uh, haven't seen a lot of good Polish films in a while. So this is nice. also comes with a really cool, really cool short film called Social Butterfly, mm. uh, which is a, uh, an English and French language French film about 14 minutes long. Uh, let's see. Get down to the last few here. Gloria Bell. Gloria. Gloria's Gloria. Gloria. Uh, Sebastian Lilo directed both, yeah. right? The, yeah. That one and the only. Yeah. Sure did. Yeah. Yep. After he won his Oscar for uh, a, uh, a a special woman, unknown woman, uh, yeah. something woman, yeah, yeah. whatever. There's a real woman, whatever that was called. So uh, from Facets, we have a really really great one here. This is uh, the short films of Raimundo Gleiser. G L E Y Z E R. Um, you know, Facets always finds the great little nuggets out on the uh, fringes of the film world. And uh, Gleiser was an Argentine filmmaker, and um, these are documentary shorts that he made largely in the 1970s, early part of the 1970s, one of them in the late part of the 1970s. The shorts are Swift, Don't Forget, Don't Forgive. Mm. Uh, the AAA are the Armed Forces, and the last one, long title here they kill me if i don't work and i work if they kill me 
Uh, Gleiser was a really, really significant uh, filmmaker, not terribly well-known outside of Argentina, except among a certain group of very, very uh, dedicated uh, documentarians. They are um, wonderful short films, and they are intense and really packed, and they give you a wonderful look at Argentine history and culture and really speak uh, very much to what's happening in Latin America in the 1970s, which mm. was a pretty tense time. Yeah. Benoit Jaco, we love. Tim and I have done uh, audio commentary for some Benoit Jaco movies. Yeah. And uh, the uh, this is a Benoit Jaco film from Film Movement on DVD only. I wish it were on Blu-ray. This was at uh, a recent Toronto Film Festival. Never Ever with Mathieu Amalric and Julia Roy. Um this did not, I don't think, got, get a wide theatrical release here. No. And I'm not quite sure why. This is his latest film. It's a wonderful film. Mathieu Amalric kind of sort of plays himself in it, meaning uh, Benoit Jaco. He plays a filmmaker um, who uh, winds up just by accident uh, meeting this woman and kind of becoming obsessed with her in a, uh, in a little bit of a vertigo-like way. And um, it is essentially about the um, that relationship and how it evolves, and then the weird twists and turns that happen afterwards. But it is it has some very dark edges to it, and it goes in some places that you don't expect it to. And uh, I found that to be really, really intriguing. And Benoit Jaco is a great filmmaker, regardless. Everything he does is worth checking out. Really thoughtful. Single girl, I love a single girl. So good, I right? Was just, I was just yeah. so great. And then the last one here is um, Naples in Veils, uh, starring Alessandro Borghi and Giovanna Mezzogiorno. Uh, the director is Ferzan Ozpatek. Yes, you're right. That's a, that's a Turkish name. But it's an Italian film. And Ozpatek uh, is a filmmaker I'm not terribly familiar with. But uh, I'd like to see more of his stuff. There's some very interesting stuff here. Not a lot by way of special features, deleted scenes, and behind-the-scenes stuff. So if you want to know more about this movie, you've got to kind of do a little bit more research, uh, unfortunately. But uh, it would be great to have this on Blu-ray. The, um, uh, this is another one, kind of similar to the film we just, uh, that I just mentioned, the, uh, a little bit similar to the Benoit Jaco film, Never Ever. This is um, about a very unusual and unexpected uh, relationship. Two people who meet young woman and a young man, and uh, it, it, then it just kind of falls apart. Mm. It just doesn't go anywhere. You know, the, the, this thing starts to happen, and then and then it doesn't. And uh, then there's a twist, mm-hmm. and I can't tell you what the twist is, but it then it takes a completely wild left turn, and it takes a turn, like the Benoit Jaco film takes its big turn later. This one takes its turn sooner. And um, it uh, it winds up also being very existential and asking some really tough questions that you really don't expect it to ask. So, uh, sharp film, about 112 minutes long, and uh, that is Naples in Veils by Ferzan Ozpatek. Mm. Really, really cool. And that's from Breaking Glass. Outstanding, outstanding. All right. Uh, we're going to do some TV? Yes, do TV. Okay, I got a little new TV, a little old TV, and one right. one doc over here. Second season of 13 Reasons Why. Uh, a fairly controversial little series uh, when it came out about a young woman yeah. uh, who commits, who had already committed suicide uh, when the series began. She leaves a set of cassette tapes on the porch of um, a friend, a high school friend, who, uh, he, who had a crush on her. She had a crush on him. And over the course of the entire series, uh, certainly the first and second season, he's listening to these tapes as she tells him 13 reasons why she did what she did. Uh, the controversy was about uh, the possible enfranchisement of notions of there being of the idea that there are reasons 
They commit suicide. They commit suicide. Yeah. So there was a lot of uh, uh, kickback about that. that. That notwithstanding, this is a well-told, a well-shot, well-produced uh, uh, television uh, series. Uh, I, it's, and it's really just a mystery. That's really what it is. Uh, I think I, 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 there was also a stat recently released where they said that since this went on the air, the, su- the incidence of su- teen suicides has increased, as though there's a correlation between the two. Yeah. Like somehow a lot of teenagers are hanging around, having a happy life and going, yeah, life's awesome. And they watch 13 com- they watch this movie, this this TV show, and then go, oh, and yeah. they're going off themselves. Oh, you know, reason, re- reason yeah. eight, that's mine. No. Uh, it's, it, yeah. No, I, I, I think there's something else going on. I think that was a dumb a dumb study, but um, it's a smart show. Well, it's 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 like uh, back, I guess it was the 80s when uh, all those, uh, you know, Ozzy Osbourne records and whatever, yeah, right, they were right. playing them back. With them. They went to court. That was a court case. <laughs> you know, Ozzy made my kid kill himself because my kid played his record backwards. Uh, anyway, 13 Reasons Why. It's a, good, it's a very good television series, that's for sure. Power, which was a series that I came to a little bit late. Omari Hardwick series, uh, uh, 50 Cent, Curtis Jackson in the series. A good show. Uh, about a sort of classic story of a young uh, black man in yeah. this case, uh, a drug guy. Fifty Cent produces this. Pr- produces this, this show. Parlayed that fortune into a sort of a, a you know nightclub sort of fortune yeah. in New York City, but he's living this double life now. Yeah. So he's you know he's known around town as sort of like P Diddy sort of yeah. figure, but in the fact it, the matter is he's still running that drug kingpin. Yeah. The, the the trouble comes when he decides he doesn't want to be the drug guy anymore, and there are all kinds of people who need him to keep being the drug guy. Yeah. So you end up with one of those shows. Anyway, there are really a lot of really strong performances. Just a good strong hell of a drama. Um, were you uh, the Shield guy? You know, I here's I I was never heavily into the Shield. I appreciated it. It wore a little thin on me after about a season. I kind of got the vibe. You know, yeah. I sort of did the same thing over and over. But I give it credit for doing this. It, 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 I, I only went through it for about a half a season myself. Oh. Uh, a, a, a goddaughter calling. She'll be fine. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> um, um, the Shield. The Shield um, is the film that, or the, the the series that sort of um, it changed what was and wasn't acceptable on TV. It yeah. pushed the envelope for, it's, for it's, cable. And, and, and frankly, it <clears throat> pushed it right over the edge for yeah. me. This is a weird thing. You again, being of a certain generation, yeah. it's not like we didn't grow up watching. Uh, movies and television about cops that could be rough and tough. and yeah. Except, generally speaking, the cops that you and I grew up watching on television were heroic cops. Yeah. If you start with cats like the, the cats on one Adam 12, you know, actual oh, u- yeah. uniform. Oh, yeah. Good guys. <clears throat> sure. These were good guys. Solving crimes, doing what they needed to do, yep. but they they never, you never thought them break. Uh, Joe Friday and, and, and Homie Walker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Detectives. They don't, I don't jo- even think I ever saw those guys hold a gun. Jo- Joe wasn't just a good guy. Joe ended most of those shows by giving you a lecture on what was and was not moral and how you should live your life and go out there and do the right thing. Exactly. And, it, and, it, and they were long. And that they, was like five minute, five minute, you know. They, they, these were like commencement addresses <laughs> that he was giving at the end of those shows. As you as you creep into the, I don't know, I guess 80s or so. It's in the 80s. You start getting this, uh, you know, it's a little bit dubious. There, yeah. there, there's some good, but you get to the shield. Yeah. The whole damn team. <laughs> and everybody on the box here is like one, two, three, four, five. It's like eight guys on his team. All dirty. All dirty. <laughs> and every one of them ostensibly the hero yeah. of the show. Yeah. So yeah. I, how, how we managed to do that, I do not know. But people love The Shield. The Shield and The Wire, both of which are essentially yeah. shows about dirty cops. Yeah. And the criminals that they deal with. Yeah. Because, you know, they're there they're too. Yeah. But somehow we decided that the dirty cop the dirtier the cop, the bigger the hero he is. And that's what this show was about. And I always thought it was a little will. What I have in my hand here is the complete series. 
70 hours worth of in-depth stuff, 70 hours worth of just bonus features Man, on this. So, you know, so if, if you are a big fan of the, I just don't, created by Sean Ryan, of course, I just don't see how you could not <laughs> no, you know, it's, have it's, this series. Yep, there it is. Uh, uh, pr- pretty crazy. This was a neat little um, uh, a DVD, uh, uh, a documentary, really, seasons one and two of this Netflix series called The Toys That Made Us. I love this so much. Because, oh. again, I'm a pop culture yeah, uh, look at that. kid like you. So, basically, uh, uh, season one, this one, they talk about uh, the merchandising that came out of the Star Wars series. Yeah. And what that meant to the rest of the franchise in terms of movies. It was the first time the merchandising started to eclipse the film in terms of revenue. Yeah. Uh, they realized... That you changed can, everything. That changed everything. You can keep making a toy as well after the movie is out of yeah. theaters. Back then, movies were just in theaters. And after they left theaters, they, they didn't make any money until they went on television. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually VHS came along. Uh, Barbie, He-Man, and G.I. Joe. That's all season one, disc one. Season two, same thing with Star Trek. Yeah. You know, uh, so they go through the entire uh, Star Trek stuff. Uh, Transformers, and then the Japanese stuff comes in. Uh, Lego and then Hello Kitty. And just how all of that stuff just blows everything away. Really, really interesting stuff. Uh, I got a couple here. Uh, old TV series. From Mill Creek, we've got the original complete, uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood. Complete series. 143 episodes. I had no idea. Yeah, that's the one from the 60s. Yeah, I had no idea. This is with, starring Richard Green. I had no idea there were 143 episodes of this thing. I yeah. saw a few reruns when I was a kid. Yeah, you would see a few of them, but it was like the same seven. Yeah, it was exactly. Uh, it's crazy. Richard Green plays Robin Hood, uh, and and you know uh, you got everybody else. Friar Tuck. I mean, there are no no sort of legendary actors in here. Uh, Ian Hatteras, Sir Richard of Leah is maybe maybe the most uh, distinguished of any of them. Um, but this was a good solid show from that that period that also gave us Daniel Boone and mm-hmm. a lot of these other things. They're all kind of in the same thing. But anyway, um, wow, it's uh, there's it's that's crazy. 143 episodes, uh, and they're half hour episodes. Should point that out. Um, so it's about you know 60 some hours of of stuff, 60 65 maybe hours. Anyway, uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood, the complete series, it's perfectly fine and it's totally entertaining and it's a nice, uh, nice little. Um, Little flashback to a bygone era, so you can get that from Mill Creek. I thoroughly enjoyed that stuff. I just absolutely did. I I did too. I enjoy that era. Uh, the Donna Reed Show. As long as we're talking about Doris Day, yeah, uh, this is kind of one of the originals of those things. This was this was right from that moment when uh, there was an idyllic, all American white middle class suburban family. They all look the same. Ozzy and Harriet. Ozzie, Harriet would have, would Leave it to one. Beaver. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, all yeah. they all look the same. And the thing that always fascinates me is that that by ten years later, they're all divorced and single. Family <laughs> affair. Courtship of Eddie's <laughs> father, mm-hmm. the Brady Bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, uh Doris Day actually Dor- Doris Day uh, she was uh, a widower. Goes to Mrs. Muir. Mm-hmm. Like suddenly all the parents are single. Just mm-hmm. ten years later. Mm-hmm. Ten years later, they're all single. Uh, so there's something about American society that you can you can read into that. I, I can I I I peg it to something around the time that the Point Point Norris complaint came out. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was that was the whole, there was a whole sequence in that, and that was a huge huge hit. Yeah. Uh, and there was a whole sequence in that, and then of course there was that Betty Friedan book. 
the the mystic woman or something. Oh like yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah. That's that was another thing that happened yeah. in the culture at, the, at that moment too. Well, anyway, this is the complete set from MPI. It is uh, five volumes. My goodness, it's just uh, seasons one through five, uh, and it's tons of extras on here. And you know, look. In all fairness, we're we're kind of making fun of it a little bit. But Donna Reed was a wonderful television oh, personality. Oh, she was. She was the she was television. She was the television uh, Doris Day. She was. That yeah, was it. Was Before Doris Day, Day was the yeah. television Doris, Doris Day. Day. Yeah, yeah. When Doris Day was, was the television was, was the movie, movie Doris, Doris Day. Day. She would be in the television <laughs> Doris Day. That's yeah. it. So, uh, one hundred and eighty-six episodes in five seasons, and tons of amazing guest stars on here. If you're if you're not into into, into uh, Donna Reed, you're going to be into the guest stars: Cloris Leachman, Harvey Corman, Esther Williams. Uh, John Aston. I mean, on and on and on it goes. Buster Keaton and Bob Crane even show up on this thing. It's yeah. a, it's it was a it's a real uh, it's a real piece of Americana, and it's a great thing to have on the show. Yeah, fantastic. The uh, Bonanza, Bonanza, nineteen fifty nine to nineteen seventy three. Yeah, that is just crazy. We have volume ones and volume two here. This is uh, look um, that top line cast of Bonanza was fantastic, of course. Uh, you have your uh, 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 Lauren Green, Pernell Roberts, Dan Blocker, Michael Landon. Pernell Roberts used to be a, uh, a neighbor. Really? Yeah. Pernell, I, 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 mean man. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, well, because, you know, that was the thing, is why does he disappear for half the seasons of Bonanza? Because he was having a contract dispute, and everybody oh, hated him. Oh, okay, uh, right? okay. It's like, a, where, did, where did he go? Oh, he's off doing blah, 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 and, you know. <laughs> And everybody else is a team player, and Pernell Roberts is kind of a kind of a you know a jerk. Um, oh, that's always funny. was. Every, he was known for that. And I and I always remember whenever I'd see him drive by, he, he like if you're just standing on the side of the road and he's like driving by, he'd give you the stink eye. <laughs> why? Because you're in his world. That's why you're you're, you're invading Pernell you, Roberts. You're, you're, and the thing of it, and I loved him on Trapper John too. And the thing of it, I really never got him. For why, as 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 Trapper John, who of course had been a character on Mash, you know the you know, the before B J right. Honeycutt and all those, games, and had been played by Rain, Wayne Rogers, and I'm like, wh- why not Wayne Rogers? <laughs> True. What the hell is going on here? And not for nothing, Pernell Roberts, who was like a dark haired bald dude, yeah, and Wayne was yeah. like a curly haired blonde dude. Yeah. I'm like, you're not even trying. <laughs> so at least, you know, at least the with, show was good. See, see, at least with Lou Grant, right? They're mm-hmm. like. Ed Asner. Yeah. Yeah, sure, it's a total turn. Yes, we're going from a sitcom to a to a drama, but Yeah, it, and from a from a television to a newspaper. Yeah, but but still Lou Grant. Yeah, you know, and and, and, and eventually gets sick of it and goes back to television anyway. Um uh, so anyway, <laughs> this is the 60th anniversary of uh, of of Bonanza. This I mean, if you grew up watching this, yeah. you want to talk about people in the show Tim Matheson. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's right. Uh the people who were children in this show who grew up had whole careers and have aged out and died. So that's that's how before you go back with Bonanza. We're gonna hit some uh, some new stuff now, and uh, I'm gonna get this right out of the way at the top. This is a, this is a new movie that really doesn't warrant much discussion at all, but I'm gonna mention it because I just want to get it out of the way. Uh, this is American Exit. Mm. When your time is up, there's no running away. That's a tagline you're not even trying with. Yeah. When your time is up, there's no <laughs> running away. Like <laughs> like what? Did, 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 how many people sat around a table for four seconds to think that one up? Come on. <laughs> They're not even trying. No, they didn't um, even sit. So this is uh, allegedly a true crime uh, story about a you know a, a guy who like who steals a painting and uh, you know winds up taking his son on on the lamb and you know they're 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 running out in the desert and the whole thing whatever. 
Um, so fair enough. But the thing that's weird about this is that it stars Dane Cook. Dane Cook has has turned a corner and he's now trying to pretend that he's like the heavy action guy. Now, oh, not, not 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 action hero, but action well, good like guy. action no action villain. Oh, action guy. villain, really, action Dane villain, right? So so that's the thing that's a little bit weird. Dane, Dane Cook was supposed to be the next big rom com guy for a moment. Mm-hmm. He, he had that moment. He was he was going to be like the he was going to step when Matthew McConaughey was stepping up to do more serious stuff mm-hmm. and getting getting out of all of those dumb movies like uh, oh license to fly or whatever yeah. the hell they're yeah, called. Yeah, yeah. And Dane Cook was going to be the next guy. And and we know how they all all those posters. It's always a girl giving a guy some kind of a look. Yeah. And the guy is like shrugging or looking silly. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, <sighs> Dane Cook uh, didn't turn out to be that guy, so now he, he buffed up and picked up a gun, and now he's trying to look mean. Look at that picture on the back of the box. How mean he looks. You know, he does, in fact, look mean. <laughs> <laughs> he may have picked the wrong, he may have made the wrong choice the first time know. out. Of anyway, course, he's a comedian, Dane. He's a comedian. He's, you know. He still does comedy. Uh, and, and I enjoyed seeing Udo Kier in here uh, as the guy who owns the did painting. Did you make a movie with Udo? We did, Yes. Yes, we did. Lacey Street. That's the one. Down yep. in, because yep. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. Last Call. Yes. Which, which, is, now, which is now known as Stingers. Um, I <laughs> what, did. What the hell did they model the chase to name for? I don't know. Uh, That's a long story. Uh, yeah. But but I, I wrangled extras. You worked on it as well. And um, the uh, the I, I remember Udo, who's hysterical. Seymour Cassell was on that, too. Seymour? Hell Seymour yeah. Seymour was just Seymour, so Seymour split a couple of weeks ago, he too. He did. Right? I know. He, he might have started that run. He did. He did. Seymour's oh. passing started that. Yeah, Seymour was so funny on that. But Udo Kier, because I interviewed everybody for the uh, for the EPK. For the EPK, yeah. And uh, you know, Seymour was fine. He was perfectly normal. You know, he's a clown on set, but you sit him down, you interview him, he's fine. Udo, that was a trip. Uh, Udo sat down, and uh, every and this is my only Udo Kier story. Every time you do an EPK interview, you ask the person to say their name and to spell it mm-hmm. so that anyone who is then transcribing this or using it in any other form has the raw video and they don't make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's standard. And everyone does it, except Udo Kier. <laughs> I say, uh, so for the just for the record, could you please uh, say your name and spell it? And he's sitting there. And by the way, just for the effect, he had somebody grab this stray cat and put it in his lap. <laughs> So that he would look all James Bond stroking a cat and wound up leaving more fur than you could possibly imagine. He was very upset. So Udo, Udo looks at me and he goes, I don't need to spell my name. I'm Udo Kier. Everyone knows who Udo Kier is. <laughs> Why well, you got to be an ass? So, Udo. okay, thanks, Udo. Uh, the only thing I remember about that day is uh, smoking a lot of weed with some Jamaican sound guys out in the parking lot. <laughs> I remember that guy. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, he's there. I remember the guy. Uh, so, yeah, let's see. Uh, and then I'll throw this in there too. Backdraft 2. I know, right about now, everybody at home is going, back, back there's, a, there's a backdraft, too. <laughs> With Donald Sutherland and William Baldwin reprising, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Uh, but Ron Howard has nothing to do with this. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know why this is... Um, now you've got, like, the... You know, William Baldwin is now an uncle, and his nephew is working there. And so it's a next-generation thing with this guy, Joe Anderson, playing the, the nephew. Uh, honestly, I don't know why this got made. It, all these years later, I don't know that anybody was really begging for there to be another backdraft, except probably Billy Baldwin, who hasn't really worked well, ever since. Yeah, to make a condo payment or something. Yeah, so anyway, it's, you know, there's arson and blah, 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 blah. And uh, You know that, that the original backdraft film was such a big film that they put in a thing at Universal Studios, yeah. a whole ride experience based on, it I was know. there for 20 years. I know. Uh, you Crazy. know, but I get, I, 
I promise you, no one who wasn't alive then can remember what that movie was. Does not need no. this movie. No. But Billy Baldwin does, so uh, good for him. Good for and Chip Donald Sutherland gets to play the crazy uh, arsonist guy again. So, Can I knock off one? Yeah, you know, go ahead. Liam Neeson in Cold Pursuit. I only wanted to do it because, look, I just want to <laughs> speak to Liam for a second. Liam, yeah. I love you, homie. <laughs> but, dude. You're like 75. To be honest, I think not even being hyperbolic, I think he's yeah. he's clocking 70. He's yeah. got to be clocking oh, 70. Yeah, he's, sure. he's maybe not 70, but he's clocking 70. Yeah. Liam is still running around these movies with a gun, knocking out 25-year-olds and, <laughs> and dragging them across. This In this one, uh, he's hunting a Viking, an actual Viking, who also happens to be a drug pen. He is 66. He's 66. He'll okay. be 67 in, a, in about a week. And no, I, 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 so I didn't do you wrong. And yeah. by the way, you're looking fantastic, homie. I'm down with you. Yeah. But this is starting to look a little crazy. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You know, you know Denzel's not too far behind him. I know. Denzel's going to be 65. I know. I know. Gee. I know they're they do they're all in the neighborhood. They're all in the neighborhood. Anyway, this is fun. It's really mostly silly. This is not serious like the takens and the yeah, you know, yeah. so he's having a little fun here. And that's what I think I like about it, is that it, uh, you know, even he knows that you know what, this is a little crazy. So if I'm gonna if you want me to keep doing these, you're gonna have to let me uh have a little fun, make fun of myself. Uh I don't wanna be become the butt of a bunch of jokes yeah. out there. So yeah. I'll just I'll poke myself a bit. That's what he does in this. So you might like this one. Uh The Upside with Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston mm. and and for some reason a bunch of other actresses like Nicole Kidman in roles that, that are completely beneath them. Remake uh, of the French film. Remake of the French film Intouchables. Mm. Which was wonderful. Which is wonderful with with uh, uh with Omar C, who won, by the way, the Cesar Award for Best Actor for mm. Intouchables mm. and beat Jean Dujardin in the artist in France. Mm -hmm. So while Jean Dujardin is winning Best Actor here in his own country, he's losing to Omar C. Omar C. In yeah, which is interesting. I think uh, no, the Intouchables is still the most successful French film outside of France. It made something like three hundred million dollars outside France, mm. which is incredible. Yeah, um, yeah. Fr so, French language films don't do that, folks. So you and I saw this together. Yeah, and I think we kind of had the same feeling about it, which was Kevin Hart. Good on you. Yeah, good performance. Good performance. Rock solid. Movie doesn't quite hang together. No, no. Cranston is actually okay. Nicole Kidman, no reason whatsoever Why to she's be in, in this movie. movie. It's not her fault. No. Um, uh, but it, it, but it, is, it makes no sense why yeah. she's in this movie. I like the way Kevin chose to play it. He, it, you know, it's, it's set in New York and in America, not so the and the yeah. issues aren't the same. Obviously, he's an American and he's not in danger see, of being and, deported. And see, that's the issue here, and that's the, what makes it a little different is that is that Omar Sy, who is Senegalese, plays Senegalese immigrant in The Untouchables, and the whole experience of a Senegalese immigrant in France is very, very different from mm -hmm. saying, okay, he's an ex-con. And he just needs a job. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an interesting dynamic, but it's a different dynamic. It's a different dynamic. It's, it's yeah. the issue of his life. The issue of Omar's life in the other yeah. movie is, can I even stay in this? Nobody's going to deport yeah. Kevin. No. <laughs> you, you, to, to Brooklyn, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. You, but, you know, you can pull yeah. yourself together, son, and everything will be fine. Yeah, it's um, and it's funny because Omar is funnier in Untouchables than Kevin is here. Kevin is playing this really straight. And he's really, playing really it. He's tough. playing it, and, and and it's why the performance is good. He's he's angry. Yeah, and he's playing the anger, and which yeah. is interesting because it's that anger that Brian. I mean, we're talking about this movie. We didn't yeah. hate it. No, it's, it's a perfectly serviceable movie, folks. Yeah, it just doesn't happen to be as good as the French film. Yeah, but what I do take away from this is that Kevin Hart can do pretty much any damn thing he wants. Yeah, yeah. he really is. Frankly, he's, I'd like to he. 
I, I, I used to say, we, we used to say about Eddie Murphy 25 years ago, man, yeah. I'd love to see Eddie get serious. Wouldn't well, you love to see Eddie get serious? And, and, he, and he turned serious too late because yeah. he was getting the huge paydays. Yeah. But I, I give Kevin uh, Hart all the credit in the world. This, this uh, is a great sign. There are a lot of interesting stuff, uh, deleted scenes, gag reel, uh, you know, behind. The, I mean, you can see him joshing around and being a really fun guy on the, on the set. And, and, that's, and that's what you would expect. But, um, by the way, I watched his new show on, uh, on Netflix. Mm. Son of a bitch! That is the funniest. Really? Thing. There, there's a part in there. It's a, it's a, it's one of those extended jokes that Woody Allen was so expert at, right? Mm. It's an extended joke that goes on for. It's got to be like five minutes long. It's one of those constructed jokes, right? Mm. But it's so constructed that right at the end. Kevin is losing it. He's cracking himself up. He can't handle it. He's laughing. He's laughing so hard. He's almost in tears. And he's saying to the audience, he says, no, hold on. It, this is the best one. This is the best one. Like he's, he's, he's completely setting, setting them up for it. And it's even though he sets you up for it, he, when he nails it, it's so funny. It's insanely funny. It's just it's like the mo- one of the most genius constructions. But the whole show is really sharp. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just joke, 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 joke. There, he sets stuff up at the beginning that he pays off later on. It's a it's a complete work. Mm-hmm. It's a complete piece of writing. And love it's really, it. I love it's it. It's really sharp. Yeah. I, I I urge anybody to check that out. Uh, Kevin Hart's new Netflix show. It's it's uh, it's a great performance. So let's see. Uh, Trading Paint. Uh, for some reason, John Travolta is still making movies. I don't get it. <laughs> I really don't. I don't know. It's like uh, you know somebody. This is what I would do if I were somebody uh-huh. out there. It's like, look, John Travolta keeps making these crappy movies, and uh, so does Nick Cage. Yeah. Here's what you want Every to do. now and again, Nick will have something interesting, but mostly crappy movies. Get the two of them together again yeah. in a movie. Do that. Do the do the face-off thing. Yeah. Do that. Oh, who has why hasn't anybody dude? Why hasn't anybody dude? Yeah. Seriously. What? We need to do this now. What? We copyright that. We copyright the idea of putting John and Nick back together yeah. in any kind of a movie. Doesn't even <laughs> but, 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 but we hereby now copyright the notion. Yeah. Because that's yeah. that's that's brilliant. Yeah, well, that it should happen. Uh, no, this is hey, this is just a, a straight to Blu-ray and DVD combo set. John Travolta just giving a paycheck movie about a father and son racing duo, and uh, they, you know, yes, inevitably they wind up having to race against each other, and so what? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, so what? I mean, yeah, it's got some, you know, it's got some stuff in it that's that's nicely directed and whatnot, but. Um, I don't know. Michael Madsen is maybe the the better reason to see this. To be honest, um, I like Michael Madsen. Yeah, he's good in pretty much everything. Just because you know why? Here's the great thing about Michael Madsen. It's because he knows the only thing he can do is this, and stays in his lane. And he stays in his lane. He just does this every movie, even, <laughs> even Free Willy. Yeah, like literally the guy he plays in Free Willy and the character he plays in in Reservoir Dogs. It's the same guy. Same guy. Just at one point, he's cutting off a guy's ear, and another <laughs> one, he's saving a whale. <laughs> yeah. Still Michael Madsen. I love it. It's I love it. Does. I love it. Uh, I love it. His okay. sister, Virginia, got all the actual action skills. You yeah. want to keep going? No, go for it. Oh, well, Apollo 11. Uh, uh, wonderful. This. Uh, this, this wonderful doc. Um, uh, just 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So very sel- I seldom see a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it still? Well, yeah. And, oh, I, and I think to myself, you know what? That's, that's absolutely right. Anyway... Um, uh, particularly for, for folks of a certain age, uh, you and I came of age doing the Apollo, uh, um, the Apollo missions, um, yep. most of the Apollo missions, actually. I think I was alive for all of the Apollo missions. Um, um, Apollo 11, this is just an absolutely fascinating uh, uh, doc from uh, uh, Todd Douglas. 
it's full of all kinds of images you've never seen before. Uh, the voices you hear from Mission Control, uh, and and I think who, who have we got left? We got Buzz. Buzz is still around, right? Uh, I, think, I think Buzz is the only one. Yeah, yeah, I think he is. Uh, the, the, from that from that mission. From that mission, yeah, yeah. Uh, and all, and and it's just it's just absolutely fascinating. There were a couple of of these uh, that came out this year in association with uh, Gosling's. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, Apollo. Yeah. Uh, uh, these are better than the narrative the, film. The uh, speaking specifically to First Man, mm-hmm. the uh, the Damien Chazelle film with Ryan Gosling. Yeah, which uh, yeah that th- what's a amazing about that is he just takes all the footage all the archival material and edits it together to tell you a story Mm -hmm. with very minimal interaction as a filmmaker there there are some graphics and things that sort of show you where the moon is and where the earth is and but there's no big old giant voiceover of you know uh, you know whoever all the, the the audio you hear uh, is audio captured it's in, all, it's in, all in and around and about from the time? Beautiful. Uh, and and he, did, and he finds the story in there. The story sort of is the obvious story, but nevertheless, yeah. it's so gripping and better it than is. First Man, I guess. Fantastic. Have to say. Yeah. I uh, got a couple of animated ones here on 4K, 4K Ultra HD. Then uh, you know what? I'm lukewarm on both, but I know a lot of people love them. How to Train Your Dragon: The Hidden World. I am not a big fan of the uh, How to Train Your Dragon movies. Um, I, I just I kind of don't get the the excitement the dragon is a little creepy looking to me i never really vibed to the whole friendship of it but some people love these movies and i will say this the animation here is terrific and they certainly do take the story into an interesting place um you know female dragon and there's all this other stuff that's happening that's 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 fine i mean it's it's nice and and you know, you you have the little romance between Hiccup and Toothless, and it's so cute, and it drives me crazy. But yeah, yeah, that's okay. Fair enough. Um, does does Hero cotton to him? Huh? Does Hero cotton to those? No, movies? not at all. Are, no. are they too old for her? You know, she just wants to watch princess movies. Okay, so she's not, not, none of that's no, going to cut that. She okay. just wants to watch. She just wants to see Cinderella and uh, Beauty and the Beast, and she doesn't really want to watch anything she hasn't seen already. Okay. We're in that stage right now. It's okay. very interesting. I uh, I don't want to see any new movies. Okay, fair enough. But anyway, so... Uh, but look, the animation is terrific. I give I get all the credit in the world for that. It is terrific, and uh, those who love the first movie will absolutely love this one. The 4K is stellar and completely off the chart. The Lego movie, the second part, mm. I'm not that fond of these either. I know the first one really people just went nuts for way too referential. It mm. was like that was like Simpsons meets Family Guy meets South Park on steroids times 10. Yeah. It's just too much hard-hitting referential bada bing bada bing just over and over and it just it's too too hard and fast. Uh, so five years later, we we get you know the uh, this space invader plot of some kind, and I you know everything and everyone is in this, and the jokes fly fast and furious, and it's a it's still a little too much. But again, people who love the first one will love this one, and the 4K is also very 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 good. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon, of course, is a universal release, and uh, they are doing better and better with their 4K. They're really really getting it down. Uh, the uh, the um, Lego movie, the second part, is a Warner release, and their 4K has always been top-notch and really, really first-rate, and it continues to be. So, um, uh, you know, there are extras on both of these, but uh, the, the one that's really, really loaded with them is uh, How to Train Your Dragon. That's just got tons and tons of stuff, alternate opening and shorts and deleted scenes and EPK stuff, and um, that's really loaded with it. The uh, the Lego movie only has uh, some deleted scenes and uh, music video and a, and a couple of featurettes. 
Uh, pop up here. You want to yeah, go for that. Uh, this was an interesting little film. Not 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 fantastic by 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 any stretch of the mas- of the imagination, but it was directed by Vincent D'Onofrio. You know the actor Vincent yeah. D'Onofrio. It's called The Kid. It's a sort of um, uh, well, really mostly confabulated story about uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Uh, and you know, in the, in the you know the, the last days of Billy the Kid, as Pat Garrett sort of chases him down. Pat Garrett, played by Ethan Hawke, uh, uh, Dane DeHaan, uh, and Jake Shore, and uh, a few other folks in the film, uh, Billy the Kid, and a few others in the film. It's this this movie is full of these grand soliloquies that these actors tell every few minutes. Like, you know, there's a big shootout, something will happen. You have yourself a group of three or four actors, and somebody will tell a grand soliloquy. They usually start like this. The first time I killed a man, <laughs> and, and then they go on for about five minutes. Uh, uh, and everybody in the movie has one. Everybody oh, in the movie has dear. one. Uh, the women I have had no high hopes. For this. <laughs> it, it, but Ethan Hawke doing fantastic work in this movie. But is no. he not just in the prime of his career right He's now? He's just killing it. He's I, just I, killing it. I mean, Ethan Hawke has always been an interesting actor. Uh, all the way back to explorers, explorers, yeah, yeah. right, and and Dead Poet Society, and he, there was always a thing going on, and yeah, all the all the link ladder things. I mean, he's always he's always mixed it up with really interesting work. But as a director and as an actor, he has been doing stuff kind of since boyhood. Mm-hmm. He he's been in in the, in the prime of his life. Oh I yeah, mean, that I, uh, that wonderful movie uh, where he played the the, the jazz trumpeter. Yeah, he directed Blaze. Yeah, which was really um, wonderful. Wonderful. He he played uh, uh, Maudie, played Maudie's husband, mm-hmm. opposite uh, you know the the, the Canadian famous Canadian folk artist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, really amazing work. That's good really and people, but you know what? Always been a Renaissance man. Uh, Ethan Hawke penned his first novel, which was a pretty good That's book. True. People, almost twenty years ago, almost twenty years ago. Got a little indie, British indie here on uh, on Blu-ray. It's called White Chamber, starring Sean McDonald and Oded Fair. Oded Fair hasn't shown up in a lot of stuff lately, so I got very mixed feelings about this. Um, I had to review this on Film Week, and uh, it, it, here's the thing. It's a very good-looking Blu-ray. They did a beautiful job transferring it over, so good on uh, MPI. This is part of their dark skyline. Um, it looks better on Blu-ray than it did on the on, on projected. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. They, did a, they, they fixed the things. It's, this is kind of a horror thriller. It's a low-budget horror thriller. It takes place in a Civil War-ravaged United Kingdom um, where – you know the 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 uh, presumably the forces that are ripping the country apart under Brexit and everything else has now reached epidemic proportions. So um, martial law has been declared, and the whole movie basically takes place in this building where they isolate people in this white chamber for interrogation. And um, it has to do. Oded Fair plays a guy who is basically a general. Who is, um, you know, commanding the 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 rebel forces? Who's been captured, and um, it, it's uh, and then you have a woman who has who may or may not have vital information about something, and you get into this kind of a cat and mouse situation of you know what's happening in the chamber, what do they do to the people in the chamber, which is kind of a torture chamber. Mm. It's an interrogation chamber, but you know you, there are all these things that you can inject and things you can do with the chamber that will drive people crazy. And um, it is, it's supposed to be kind of a, an ethical question about how far will we go with, on this current trajectory, this, this socio-political trajectory that's tearing the world apart, mm. and, you know, this populist thing that's happening in all these corners of the globe. Where does it lead us? It, it tries to ask these big questions, but ultimately, at the end of the day, 
It's Saw. It's Saw. I was going to say, it sounded a lot like Saw. It's Saw. <laughs> you know, that's where I was going. Saw with some social. It's still uh, Saw. Uh, that's kind of crazy. Uh, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, the Prodigy, uh, not to be confused with the 800 other movies called The Prodigy. This is, uh, this is a new Prodigy that is um, uh, about a, a woman who has a son that's starting to get a little bit weird and... Uh, you know, she thinks he's possessed or the devil or who knows what. There are a lot of these movies made in the last few years. Scary Kids was my child kidnapped by a fairy and replaced by a changeling or possessed by the devil or what's going on. And this is another one of those. Uh, I don't think that it terribly works very well. Once it sort of starts showing its hand, it kind of it's a little gets a little eye rolling. But that being said, uh, it it is stylish, and Nicholas McCarthy, who directed it, is really only just bucking for a bigger job. So he pulls yeah. out all the stops for the suspense and the scares and the photography, and you know. So the idea is, you look at this and you go, "Well, he didn't have much to work with. Uh, he didn't have much to work with, but he's doing a good job with what he has. So yeah. let's give him a bigger budget and a bigger movie." And fair enough, he deserves it. Um, he, he does some really really solid work here. So um, you know. It's the same low-budget people who did the uh, exorcism of Emily Rose, and uh, this has been released through the the, the upsurge or the the um, how would I put it the the reborn Orion unit mm-hmm. uh, that is not the same as the old Orion, but it's got the Orion logo on it. So there it is, the Prodigy on DVD and Blu-ray. Interesting stuff. Happy Death Day. This is just from the the, the guys over at Bloomhouse. Oh yeah, it's the uh, the sequel. Uh, the sequel to the Death Day happy, movie. Happy Death Day to you. To, to you. Yeah. Happy Death Day to you. So you know the Happy Death Day movie. Young woman has to gets killed over and over and over again. Comes back. Eventually is able to solve her yeah. own murder. Uh, which was actually, you know, fairly clever. Okay, I'll, I'm, yeah, I'm going to let you have that one. You know what? You cannot have it twice. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just pissing me off because it's the same thing that they did in the Final Destination yeah, films, right? Yeah, that's right, right. right. Uh, look, it's, it's no fun if you can't win. If you can't figure out how to beat death, if you can't figure out how to beat the, right. know, and then this, that just means you're milking it, uh, and and eventually everybody gets killed in the movie. And I don't, sure. I, whatever. I don't find, I, I do not find that a satisfying trope. No. Some people do. This is unrated and features all kinds of bonus features and a gag, uh, a gag reel and deleted scenes. If you like these movies, you're gonna like this one too. But no, I say no. Redcon one, war has just evolved. There's another tagline that nobody worked on. <laughs> War has just evolved. Well, that, 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 that's not even a sense. Even, doesn't even, that doesn't, doesn't make mean, any sense. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all. It's crazy. Uh, so, pretty good film. Uh, Chi Kong Chung uh, directed this, who I believe is originally a uh, Korean director, but this is an English language film. And uh, it's kind of like a, it's sort of like a 28 days later, 28 weeks later mm. type of thing. Uh, there's like a virus outbreak and, uh, you know, a bunch of like this squad of uh, Green Beret type guys. They have to uh, go into the quarantine zone where everybody's all viraled and zombied out and um, rescue the only guy who may have a cure. Mm. That's the that's the thing. So um, does it work? Yeah, it kind of works. It's a, it's like it's again, it's a little bit, you know, like the prodigy. It's a, it's a resume piece. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. It, the idea here is that Chi Kong Chung is looking for a bigger job and and uh, a little splashier budget. And so he's put together. I mean, it it it's really really good for what it is. Um, it just doesn't, you know, you start thinking about all the other movies that have done this and that did it better and it doesn't hold up terribly well. However, got some uh, kind of EPK stuff here, interviews and behind the scenes things and uh, and that's fine. 
It's, uh, it's made the rounds at a few uh, genre festivals. So if you like those kinds of films and you've seen all the rest of them, it's, it's, it's okay. It's probably worth checking out. It's called Red Con One. Mm. Uh, Tyler Perry's Medea movies, depending on how you want to start, when you want to start counting, because the fact of the matter is Tyler Perry, the Medea, the Medea character had been a part of a theatrical character for, that he, years. for years. Yeah. And he would, and he would actually shoot <clears throat> videos of the stage plays and he put those videos out. So mm -hmm. a good, a good number of, of those movies were based on those stage plays. So yep. you can, you can see meet the Browns and all that kind of Medea's family reunion though, was the first release of the, yep. of, of it as a feature film. That was 2006. Wow. And here we are x number of years later we've had we've had medea this medea that medea everything and we are finally at medea's family funeral <laughs> because this is the last medea movie oh. so says tyler perry yeah, sure. and we'll see whether or not that's actually true <laughs> but if it is true i, I will say this um was never a particularly big fan of the medea films i, I it was something that i appreciated more than something that i actually liked um, but I, the thing that I appreciated about him is that he just put a whole bunch of black and brown folks to mm. work True. in front of and behind the camera. Yep. And I appreciated also that he was willing and he wanted to tell the story of you know a, cer a certain sort of black family yeah. as he remembered it. Medea yeah. is his grandmother. Yeah. Uh, and and I deeply deeply appreciate that. Anyway, here here it is, almost ten years later, and uh, this is the last one. It's okay. It's kind of funny. Tyler plays three or four characters in it the way Eddie used yeah. to do back in yeah. the day. Yeah. Um, uh, look, Tyler Perry is better at this than he is at anything else. Uh, uh, look, uh, all I know is this. Tyler Perry is a billionaire. Yeah, yeah. Built that studio in Atlanta. That's so it. on, on, all on, I need to know. On, <clears throat> on, on, on uh, Medea's uh, support bra. That's all I need to know. So Tyler Perry's a family. You know, all kinds of cool stuff on it. Deleted scenes, outtakes, outtakes this, that, and the other stuff. So, you know, a, a fitting sedoff. So we also have Fighting With My Family. The Director's Cut, which mm. also includes the theatrical version. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo of the Director's Cut of Fighting With My Family. Because I know everybody who saw this thought, you know, I'd really love to see the Director's Cut of that. Not really. There's no reason to have a Director's yeah. Cut of this movie. <laughs> um, uh, you know, this is uh, this is okay. I, it's perfectly fine. It's, you know, the only reason to see this really is because it's got Vince Vaughn and Dwayne Johnson in it. Uh, everybody else is just kind of going through the motions. Even Nick Frost. How, how weird, do you make a movie weird, with, weird. With, with, with Vince Vaughn and Dwayne Johnson in it, and it still doesn't register? Uh, it, because they're not really in it much and it's i guess they don't break anything i mean it's well the thing is it's a, it's it's got a wwe angle on ah, it right I so see, so I it's see. a very narrow it's uh it it tries to be, it tries to be funny it tries to be warm and fuzzy it tries to give everybody space to do something in it it winds up being too many things to too many people to ever be one thing to anyone in particular if that makes sense mm -hmm. that's kind of what what's wrong with it but it's but you know yeah it's uh it's a uh, you know it's the the wrestling thing just doesn't appeal to most people no matter how many stars you pack into it it still has a, a really niche appeal and Nick Frost would you know you would think would be great and he's even kind of mediocre in it but um, nonetheless you know it's uh, it, it I guess it is what it is fighting with my family um, really just for WWE people people who love wrestling you're you're that's all it really is uh, written and directed by Stephen Merchant and Dwayne Johnson produced it purely because he has a you know, he owes wrestling a yeah, lot. That connection, yeah. yeah. So it has to help bring up the... And good yeah. on you, Dwayne, for that. Yeah. Uh, Valentine, Dark Avenger. This is um, uh, more interesting than you would think. It's sort of an Indonesian-American sort of uh, oh, yeah, mashup yeah. of a thing. Cool. Uh, set in this place called Batava City, which is more or less sort of like Gotham. Uh, more yeah. Gotham than um, 
than uh, where's Superman's today again? Uh, uh, Metro, oh, oh, uh, Metro, Metropolis. Metropolis. Uh, so it's more uh, Gotham than Metropolis. This character even looks more Batman than uh, <laughs> the, or Batgirl, uh, Birds of Prey, if anything else. Yeah. This is the hook. She's this young waitress, just mm-hmm. a waitress, wants mm-hmm. to be an actress. Stumbles into uh, the part of this part in this film, uh, playing this character. The character eventually becomes real. So now she's a waitress who's an actress who's playing this character, and the character goes out in the middle of the night and does the things that the character actually does. Low lives and bad guys. You lost me at waitress. Yeah, one young waitress. Anyway, <laughs> that's that's it's uh, more fun than you would think. She looks a little bit like Batwoman, yes. by the way. Yes. And speaking of Batwoman and that new Batwoman show, did Birds you, of Prey. Did, did you hear what they just announced at the upfronts in New York? No. Uh, CW announced that it will it will be Batwoman's first season and it will be the last season of Arrow. Oh. So they are going to do an epic five episode five series arc spanning from December into January, mm-hmm. covering. Um, you know the the legends of tomorrow and okay. Flash and Supergirl, Supergirl and Arrow and Batwoman, and they're gonna do a whole Crisis on Infinite Earths thing right out of the comic books. Okay, okay. It's oh. basically it's basically Avengers Infinity War up to End Games yeah. for DC's television multiverse, now, which is a more successful multiverse than their uh, film. They uh, should multiverse. get they should get Greg Berlanti and all those people who are doing all those Arrowverse shows mm-hmm. to take over every. Well, by the way, what do you think about uh, Matt casting, uh, presumably casting uh, what's his face, uh, the the Twilight, uh, Pattis, uh, Robert Pattinson? I heard him, but I also heard, but I also heard Nicholas Holt. I don't like either of them. You know, not they're, they're both wrong. I mean, I'm first gonna, of all, I, what story are you telling with either one of these guys? Well, uh, one that you hope that they'll be able to be in for ten movies. But why? Because <laughs> for one thing, neither one of those guys are all that young. So, so I, I think I think uh, I think Pattinson is thirty three. Yeah. So he's he's about, the, he's about the same age now as Keaton was when he, when Keaton played Keaton Batman was, in eighty eight. I looked it up. Keaton was I think thirty seven. Really? Yes. But uh, Christian Bale was thirty one. Really? Yes. See, I would have thought Bale was like thirty five. I know. Bale was only thirty one when he, he started. Only thirty one when he started. He just that, yeah, yeah. he's just sort of buffed up or something like yeah. that. And Clo- who knows? Clooney was probably forty. Oh yeah, he was easy in his forties. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he yeah. didn't take it seriously yeah. anyway. And and uh, and Adam West was almost forty. Yeah, and Val Kilmer probably was clocking for it. Yeah. So interesting. Interesting. All right, we'll wrap this out with a couple of criterions. <clears throat> uh, both of them really good, but really acquired taste. House of Games. Uh, David mm. Mamet's rather still remarkable uh, movie from 1987 yeah. is uh, now on Criterion on Blu-ray and has a whole lot of great extras on here. Interviews with Lindsey Krauss and Joe Mantegna from uh, about uh, 12, 13 years ago. Uh, David Mamet doing a short documentary uh, all about the preparation and production of the film. I mean, really, really interesting stuff. House of Games is still... It has that dialogue of his... Oh, that yeah, was, that, that stilted we, staccato. That stilted, yeah, that... Da, 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 and people say things that they would never say in real life, but you live in Mamet's world yeah. here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for sure. It is It is still really... An, and it's the best thing Lindsey Krauss has ever done. They were married at the time. Yeah. And for good reason. Uh, that's why she gave such a great performance in this. It is... Um, oh, so many twists and turns in this thing. You just... You, it's it's just a smart script. The other one is Michael Haneke's Funny Games, nah. uh, the original 1997 uh, German Funny Games, not the English remake. Well, yeah. with, with never more disturbing, way more disturbing. Uh, this is I, I, I can I recommend every Criterion almost without reservation except this one. 
Funny Games, Haneke, this is this is it, when he is in his full sadism mode. Yeah. And he's even said so. The whole point of this movie is to basically torture the audience like the characters are being tortured in the movie. Yeah. Um, this is a brutal movie. Yeah. This is just a brutal movie. It is not fun to watch. Uh, but that's, in many respects, kind of what makes it worth watching if you're one of those kinds of viewers. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether it's him or Lars. Yeah, yeah, Von Trier. That but both see, of them can get. I mean, but, and I like. I like. But I, Von Trier went off the rails. Yeah, completely. Haneke put it together and made Amour. Yeah, and yeah. he made the uh, white, uh, the white ribbon. Yeah, you know, he made some lovely movies since. But th this is just. Yeah, they're still disturbing. Actually, still true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So anyway, uh, but Funny Games now on Blu-ray. Uh, only has a handful of extras on it, including some new interviews. Um, one of them with Alexander Horwath, the uh, his film historian, who kind of tries to right the ship a little and give you some perspective and tell you why you shouldn't hate the film. Mm -hmm. Anyway, all right, that's it. And uh, we'll be back next week.